Welcome ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us in this Austroads webinar titled Community Service Obligations for the Road Sector. My name is Eliza Esteban and I will moderate today's session and provide any technical support. If you do need any technical assistance, you could chat to me through your chat box in your webinar toolbar. My details are also on this slide. Austroads support is member organisations, those listed here, to deliver an improved road transport network. Austroads members are collectively responsible for managing 900,000 kilometres of roads valued at more than $20 billion. Our collective approach delivers value for money, encourages shared knowledge and drives consistency for road users. We are proud to bring this webinar to you today. Before we get started, just some housekeeping items. The presentations will run for approximately 35 minutes and then we have 15 minutes at the end for question time. We are also recording today's session and it will be available on the conclusion of the webinar. In this webinar, you have the ability to ask our presenters any questions. So we have three presenters today who I'll introduce shortly. Simply type your questions into the questions box that you could see into the sidebar at any stage throughout the webinar. If possible, please indicate the slide number your question relates to. We'll then answer them at the end during question time. So the objective of this webinar is to provide you with an overview of how community service obligations could be applied to the road sector and how establishing a framework could help clarify road funding arrangements. If you haven't already done so, we encourage you to download the OSSERS report this webinar is based on. You can download it from the handout section in the webinar toolbar or from the OSSERS publications website. Presentation slides to this webinar are also available in the handout section. So as I mentioned, we have three presenters today, all joining us remotely from Melbourne, Australia. Firstly, I'd like to welcome Gavin Dwyer. Gavin is an Associate Director at Mas Mars and Jacob. He has extensive experience across a range of sectors as an economist, including agriculture, transport, biosecurity, resources and environment. Our second presenter is Matthew Clark. Matthew is a Mars and Jacob practice leader for transport. He's a transport economist with extensive experience in areas such as transport economics, policy development, road and rail, and economic modelling. And lastly, we have Dr. Tim Martin. Tim is a Chief Scientist in Road Infrastructure Management at the Australian Road Research Board, also known as ARB. His research at ARB has involved leading an extensive road track cost attribution study, forming the basis of uniform heavy vehicle charging. Thank you to our speakers for their time to present to us today and prepare material. I'll now pass it on to Gavin, who will talk a little bit about the agenda for today's webinar. Thanks, Liz. In today's presentation, I'll be outlining the purpose of the project and defining community service obligations. Matthew will then talk about how to identify and define minimum levels of service. Tim will provide information on minimum service levels and implementation and then Matthew will talk about net CSO costs, funding and implementation. At the end of the presentation, we'll all be taking questions. So as Liz mentioned, please send through any questions as we go. It's very helpful if you can note the slide number in your question. You'll then, you'll see that in the, right, in the bottom right hand side of the slide. We might start with the purpose of the project. 
This project was identified by the Osroads Board as a priority project in mid-2016. Generally speaking, the project examined the potential application of community service obligations or CSOs to the road sector and provided Osroads with an overview of the potential options which could be considered in the development of community service obligations framework. The project involved direct consultation with key senior policy people and road engineers in most state and territory governments, the Commonwealth Government and the Australian Local Government Association, ALGA, and four local governments from a mix of metropolitan, regional and rural councils. As we go through this presentation, I'll continually use the term CSOs instead of spelling out community service obligations. Also note that on some slides we have included blue call-out boxes where you can reference the sections of the report if you would like more information. In Australia we have around 880,000 kilometres of roads across the country, but only about 250 kilometres or lesser total roads. Our roads are built and maintained by two main groups of organisations. Each state and territory government has an agency responsible for this function the Department of Roads and Maritime Services in New South Wales, Vic Roads in Victoria, Transport and Main Roads in Queensland and so on. But these agencies are only responsible for the main arterial roads. By distance, the bulk of Australia's roads, almost 650,000 kilometres, are owned and maintained by 550 local councils around Australia. Building and operating roads is a very expensive exercise and the total national spend on roads has been rising steadily over the past 20 years. It's getting harder for governments to meet the demands of road users from general taxation revenue, and roads remain a sector that relies heavily on taxpayers to fund new projects. In 2015, Harper Review in Competition Policy observed that roads are the least reformed of all infrastructure sectors with institutional arrangements around funding and provision remaining much the same as they were 20 years ago. More effective institutional arrangements are needed to promote efficient investment in and usage of roads and to put road transport on a similar footing with other infrastructure sectors. I'm just noting that uh, we're getting quite a bit of noise in the background. I'm just hoping that everyone's got their, um, in their dial-in, they've got their phones on mute. Thank you. Road transport services can promote social and community objectives beyond those that a commercial road owner may provide. To ensure enough funding is available to deliver an efficient level of road maintenance and investment for all road users, some CSOs will need to be built into road-related revenue and expenditure systems. CSOs already exist in the road transport sector, in many cases they are implicit, that is built into current funding arrangements without being directly or explicitly set out. Clearly defined CSOs for heavy and light vehicles and for the urban and regional road users will be crucial for the success of any future road user charging investment reforms should the government decide to proceed with such forms. But to establish a framework First, governments need to adopt a commonly agreed CSA definition. Second, governments need to agree a methodology to establish and quantify the net costs of road-related CSOs. The outcomes of this work will help government policymakers to design a future road user charging system in company, encompassing both heavy and light vehicles with an appropriate level of CSO support. 
it does this by giving them an understanding of the trade-offs between competing policy objectives of economic efficiency and fair access to road services. In this report, we have defined a road as being subject to a CSO where government obliges a public or private road infrastructure service provider to meet a minimum level of service associated with specific government policy objectives that it would not otherwise provide on a commercial basis. Some parts of this definition should be emphasised include, one, the definition includes both public and private infrastructure service providers, two, the definition refers to an obligation to provide a minimum level of service. This is important in roads because the level of service impacts the nature of road usage and the magnitude of maintenance and capacity expansion costs, for example, vehicle access. And three, the level of service is associated with specific government policy objectives. It is important as it helps define the level of service that is appropriate for different types of roads. And finally, four, the obligation to provide the service is one that would not otherwise be provided on a commercial basis. We developed this definition taking into account a range of sources. The COAG steering committee definition that was set out in 1994 is a good reference point. State governments have often referred to this COAG definition in setting their definitions for other types of services over the years, and many are very similar to the COAG definition. There are limited definitions used by local government, although we refer to local government definitions in Queensland in the paper. We also examined the reasons as for why CSOs across sectors to assist in developing definitions. We also examined the reasons as to why CSOs across the sectors could be used to assist in um, developing this definition. This is discussed in more detail in the next slide. The key reasons for CSOs being applied across Australia is discussed in section 2.2 and include one, uniform price tariffs, two, discounts and concessions, three, community benefits free of charge, four, provisions of service levels that are non-commercial, and four, five, industry assistance. There are a couple of other others mentioned in section 2.2, although there is limited transparency on these types of reasons using examples. In table 2.2, we provide a number of examples under each of the five reasons listed on the slide. Importantly, applying CSOs for roads is most like those CSOs related to providing service levels that are non-commercial. For example, uh, Telstra, where the CSO is called a universal service obligation because it is universal in its application, that is, that is, it applies across Australia. I'm now going to hand over to Matthew, who's going to talk about identifying CSOs and the minimum level of service. Thanks, Gavin. That was a really useful background of the project and defining CSOs in the road sector. Just a reminder to post your questions to us noting the slide numbers so that we can address them at the end of the presentation. As Gavin mentions, I'm going to outline the road CSO framework and our approach to identifying minimum service level, an essential element in the framework. The report proposes that the framework for identifying CSO roads incorporates three broad components. One, determining the minimum level of service for a road or group of roads. Two, based on this minimum level of service then estimating the net CSO cost. And if the net CSO cost, which is essentially cost minus revenue, is greater than zero, i.e. the road makes a commercial loss, 
and the road is defined as the CSO road. This is further illustrated in figure 3.1 in the paper as shown on the slide. This highlights that the framework involves the minimum service level being determined by two key inputs, social benefit cost analysis and policy reasons for investment or government policy objectives. It also illustrates that the net CSA cost comprises a cost component and a revenue component. If the costs of road investments, e.g. maintenance and capacity expansion expenditures, are greater than revenue, implicit or explicit, received for a road, then the net CSO cost for a road is greater than zero and is classified as a CSO road. In applying the framework in the paper, we have applied the heavy vehicle road reform road categorisation in exploring the minimum level of service for different roads. This is illustrated in the slide and shows that there are five road categories as part of the heavy vehicle road reform categorisation. This is important as it allows roads to be placed into one of these five categories and each of these road categories will have a defined minimum level of service. In the paper in section 3.12.2, we suggest that further subcategorization of the heavy vehicle road reform categories is likely to be beneficial. For example, it may be useful to consider incorporating some of the performance-based standard performance levels as subcategories, for example, level one, two A and so on, as these levels allow for greater level of vehicle access and therefore levels of service on particular roads, for example, B-doubles and road trains. We further note that we're proposing that roads could be placed in the heavy vehicle road reform road categories using an initial road categorisation, example by state road agencies, and then these placements could be adjusted over time to ensure consistency across roads by taking into account government policy objectives and key drivers of the net CSO cost, which we talk about later in the presentation, example, average annual daily traffic. We note in the paper that Although New Zealand do not have a CSO framework for roads, this approach has a similar look and feel as the way in which New Zealand assigns roads into road categories as part of their one network road classification system, as discussed in more detail in section 5.4.2 of the paper. As they assign roads into road categories based on some key road usage measures, such as average annual daily traffic and some economic and social criteria which appear to capture broader economic and social measures than just roads per se. As discussed on the previous slide, government road policy objectives can be used to assist in placing roads into the heavy vehicle road reform road categories as per the proposed CSO framework. After undertaking a detailed review of government policy objectives with respect to roads, via direct consultation with most state governments and some local governments, as well as reviewing numerous road and transport documents, key, key road and transport documents. We summarise the key policy objectives for roads as, one, connect, connectivity for economic development, two, connectivity for individuals to enable access to properties, employment and services and facilitate social mobility, three, for connect, connectivity for strategic purposes and emergency services and four, minimise deaths and injuries on roads. Two examples are illustrated in this slide of how the objectives could be developed 
in a rating scale to categorise roads. For example, the rating of a road's connectivity for moving freight and or the rating of a road's strategic importance, such as when it is used for emergency services, defence, hospitals, etc. I'm now going to hand over to Tim, who's going to further talk about minimum levels of service and implementation. Uh, thank you, Matthew. And as Matthew mentioned, I'm now going to look at implementation and minimum service levels. Um, in this slide, um, we're going to discuss the part of the framework that deals with minimum levels of service and highlight some issues we have identified with implementation. I'm looking on the left-hand side of the f this screen. In the um, heavy vehicle road categorization, the five uh, types already mentioned by Matthew, uh, the five heavy vehicle road reform categories uh, are shown in this slide and are heavily influenced or have heavily influenced the way we have structured the level of service because it depends on the quality of the road and the, and the work the road does. We also need to consider the way in which state and local governments classify their roads. In this slide, we see the state government road classification. Six state road agencies and four local government road agencies provided information on their road categorization in this research. As shown in this slide, a reasonable but not perfect alignment of state road agency road categories with the heavy vehicle road reform road categories is possible. As you can see in the table on the slide, of the state road agencies, only Main Roads Western Australia was able to provide road categorization that exactly matched those proposed for the heavy vehicle road reform. Other state road agencies had designated road categories that could be approximately aligned with those of the heavy vehicle road reform. In, in summary, New South Wales, five road categories but not exactly matching the heavy vehicle road reform categorization. Victoria had five road categories. Tasmania had five road categories. Northern Territory had nine road categories and Queensland had four road categories. A key aspect of a road's community service obligation is that the obligation is to achieve a minimum level of service. This type of CSO is similar to the universal service obligation, USOs, that are applied in Australia and other countries such as European countries in telecommunications and postal services. The heavy vehicle infrastructure ratings, that's the HVIR, provide a useful structure when considering minimum level of service for CSO roads. The rate, these ratings, which provide information on the service provided to heavy vehicle operators, are based on three attributes. One is access. This refers to the accessibility of a road to heavy vehicles and is the most important factor for determining the heavy vehicle infrastructure rating. A road must first be accessible to heavy vehicles before it matters either how smooth or how safe it is. The second uh, attribute is ride quality. This refers to the roughness of the road and how it, and is based on the International Roughness Index. It has the most immediate impact on the experience of driving along the road. And the third aspect is safety. This refers to numerous factors beyond the infrastructure. For example, drive behaviour and weather conditions may have a greater impact on safety.
In the report, we define the current level of service for the five heavy vehicle road reform road categories, that's the R1 to R5, using information provided by most state governments. In practice, this could be regarded as the current minimum level of service that has been developed over time by road service providers, taking into account social benefit cost analysis and policy objectives. Uh, using the information from six state and territory governments, access is illustrated on this, in this particular slide. This slide shows that the mass limits in terms of tonnes are defined with a number of different ranges across state road agencies for each road class. In all cases, the mass limits are equal to those set by the heavy vehicle road reform. Uh, ride quality is illustrated in this slide. This shows that ride quality, in terms of IRI roughness or International Roughness Index, is defined with similar ranges across state road agencies, although some have a greater range of values than others. Safety is illustrated on this slide. This shows that lane width is defined with similar ranges across state road agencies, although some have a greater range of values than others. However, our exploration of levels of service has highlighted there are some key implementation issues in establishing minimum levels of service. One key issue is that all of the local governments we engage were not able to provide all the forms of ride quality, access and safety level of service in terms that match those proposed by, for the heavy vehicle road reform. As an example, the level of service for ride quality was usually expressed in terms of actions of intervention rather than measurable limits. This highlights the significant work required to operationalise CSOs across local governments. We also note in the report that, given differences in level of service across road agencies, governments will need to agree on minimum levels, minimum service levels, and the degree to which those levels are nationally consistent. I'm now going to hand over to Matthew again, who is going to cover net CSO costs, funding and some further implementation considerations. Thanks, Tim. Just a reminder to post your questions in the question box so that we can address them at the end of the presentation. And also please include the slide number. Now I'm going to be talking about the other side of the the framework, uh, which is on the right-hand side of this slide, um, which we've shown a couple of times already, that relates to the way that the net CSO costs can be estimated. While a variety of methods for estimating net CSO costs are considered in section six of the report, the preferred method is the avoidable cost approach. Uh, the net avoidable cost approach is based on estimating avoidable costs and revenues associated with the requirement to achieve a higher level of service than will be delivered commercially. In other words, estimating the costs that would be avoided and revenues that would be lost without a CSO. Another way to put this is that the net CSO cost is the net cost incurred by governments to ensure that a service is provided at a minimum service level. In the report in section six, we illustrate how this can be simplified to the estimated profit and profits slash losses from undertaking CSO activities, or even more simply, the revenue from a road less the economic cost of the road, including maintenance and capacity expansion. 
One of the key parts of the project was to establish what influences whether a road is a CSO road. Noting that a road is a CSO road if its net CSO cost is greater than zero, i.e. its costs are greater than its revenue. Using data from a range of state and local governments, we illustrate in section 6.4, there are four main key drivers of the value of the net CSO cost, which could be positive or negative, meaning positive meaning it's a CSO road. These drivers are one, the level of annual average daily traffic, commonly known as AADT, or total vehicle kilometres travelled, sometimes known as total VKT. Two, the level of road cost per kilometre, and that could include both maintenance, capacity expansion, expenditure. Three, the proportion of traffic that relates to heavy vehicles. And four, the pricing structure used to generate revenues. We considered two different pricing structures within the report. Therefore, very, thinking very simplistically, we would expect a lightly traffic road, that is low average annual daily traffic, to be more likely to be a CSO road than a highly traffic road. And we would also expect roads, expect roads that incur higher than average road, road costs to also be more likely to be a CSO road. As an example, we estimated the net CSO cost for, for Tanami Road in the Northern Territory. The Tanami Road runs between the Stewart Highway in the Northern Territory and the Great Northern Highway in Western Australia. The Tanami Road is the most direct route from Alice Springs to the Kimberley, passing through the Tanami Desert. It services a number of mines and indigenous communities and serves as a cattle connecting road connecting most Western Australian beef producers to southern markets. About 20% about of the road is sealed. As the dark green solid line in the chart shows, i.e. the chart on the right hand side of this slide, the Tanami Road in all years operates at a loss, with the loss being relatively large in some years. This analysis is undertaken using historical road expenditures along this road and an estimate of implicit current revenues for the road, i.e. based on fuel-based rev fuel revenues and registration reviews for light and heavy vehicles. The large losses in 2009-10 and 2016-17 are the result of relatively high capacity expansion expenditure, which we, which we have expensed the year they are incurred. While we have undertaken this approach in the example, it is noted that other approaches exist for estimating the capacity expansion component of expenditures each year. These alternative approaches would essentially spread the revenue over a future period and are discussed briefly in section 6.5.1. The analysis indicates that with the right data, the net CSO cost could be estimated for each road across Australia or, or, or a road segment. A key implementation issue is the level of disaggregation of road categories for estimating profits and losses, or the net CSO cost. We considered a number of potential options for the level of segmentation of roads for estimating CSOs. In the report, we conclude that the benefits of more accurate profit and loss forecasts, i.e. disaggregating to a road or road segment level, are likely to outweigh the transaction cost associated with collecting and maintaining data on road use, intensity and road costs. 
particularly given the significant variations in cost and road usage across roads that we saw from data examined during the project which was provided to us by state and local governments. A potential road categorisation model is shown in the slide as illustrated in figure 7.2 in the paper, noting that there may be a need for further identifiers such as sealed versus unsealed roads or local government road subcategories. These options can be further explored with more and more extensive collection of road use and road cost data. In the paper in section 7.2, we also consider how roads could be funded. Typically, CSO funding arrangements are structured in such a way as to ensure that the public slash private enterprise is able to fund its operations to cover the losses in part or all of its businesses that result from undertaking loss-making activities. Some key alternative funding structures that we talk about in the report include, one, cross-subsidising between different users. An example of this is Australia Post, where the CSO is funded by cross-subsidising CSO services with profits from other parts of the business. And two, direct funding by governments, an example of this is Telstra, which is part funded by direct payment from the Australian government to Telstra. And three, acceptance of lower rates of return of capital. In the report, we have not presented a preferred option, as governments will need to consider a range of issues to land on the appropriate approach. For example, the preferred model may depend on government's desire for a cross-subsidy to remain within the road sector or for losses to be funded from other sources. We also know that direct funding can be seen as a, as a desired approach because it provides greater transparency and ongoing scrutiny of payments. Finally, we note in the paper that implementing CSO arrangements will require, require addressing a range of implementation issues and establishing new institutional frameworks. This is discussed in more detail in section eight. We provide a summary on this slide of some key issues. These issues include, one, governments agreeing on the minimum level of service or minimum service levels and degree of national consistency, noting that local governments in general have difficulty articulating minimum service levels within the, the heavy vehicle road reform framework or, or alternative frameworks. Two, consideration should be given to defining road subcategories within the heavy vehicle road reform framework as we discussed earlier in the presentation. Three, significant gaps in the availability and robustness of cost data should be addressed to implement CSO arrangements. And four, Governments need to consider how a CSO framework is integrated with other key aspects of heavy vehicle road reform and other broader market reforms. Finally, governments would need to consider supporting institutional processes. That, that brings our presentation to an end. Now we would like to open up to questions and I'll hand it back to Liz. Thank you. 
Yeah, thanks to all our presenters for presenting today. Lots of interesting information that you've outlined. We received a number of questions from the audience, so it's good to see these come through. Uh, first question we've received from Greg. So this relates to uh, slides 20, 21, 23, and 28. So the quote is, uh, the government's strategy for meeting future freight demand relies on the assumption that high productivity vehicles, such as PBS vehicles, will be one of the main mechanisms for meeting future demand. As a result, it is essential that the minimum standards be set in terms of the PBS standards. Otherwise, it will be difficult to meet the growth in freight tasks. So can you comment on this? Let me know if you'd like me to repeat, repeat that quote. Thanks, Eliz. Uh, can you hear us at our end, Eliz? Yes, uh, yes, I can. Okay. Uh, so we really, what we really said was, was there's the um, base five levels of category within the uh, we've used within the, the report and 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 tried to align the minimum levels of service too. Uh, when we've talked with uh, both state and local governments, um, what we did notice was that. Um, through our work and also discussing it with, with, with governments that there, there may be a need to have further levels of disaggregation of, of those categories, of those five categories. One example that we've used, and we've really used it as an example rather than being more, rather than it being a definitive outcome, is that it, it is worthwhile considering whether um, the, the PBS um, subcategorisation categorize, PBS, PBS is a useful method to further disaggregate um, without being, as I said, without being definitive and without, without de definitively hooking onto it and saying, look, that's definitely the way to go. So we've more used it as an example of something that should be considered in the future as a potential option. Okay, thanks for clarifying. Hope that's um, answered your question, Greg. Uh, so another question that we've received is that I note for the minimum LOS example for access in slide number 30, it refers to mass limits for the road category. What access considerations that were for structures such as bridges or tunnels or other weak points? Uh, Tim Martin here. Look, I, we didn't uh, look at that in any, any detail at all. We were really mainly concerned with uh, what was the load carrying capacity of the actual pavement rather than the bridges. The bridges are potentially, of course, the weak point. They don't have capacity. I know from what I know about bridge design, usually the design is fairly conservative um, and even in the past has been conservative, but it is an issue that, could, that needs to be addressed about when you want to bring this sort of uh, system into line. Whether Matthew wants to say any more. No, I think we, we can leave. That's all we can say at the moment, Liz. Okay, thanks, Tim. Well, regarding slide number 41, we've received a question Can you please provide a little more explanation of acceptance of lower rates of return on capital as a CSO funding mechanism? Thanks, Liz. Um, yeah, so essentially that's where government says, look, instead of, as an example, we're, we're going to be prepared to accept uh, a 5% dividend instead of a, a what they might normally expect to get, which might be a 10% dividend. So it's really saying, well, look, instead of um, the return from that type of investment, for that type of business, we're going to accept a lower rate of return. Um, I, when we reviewed the um, those documents and information publicly available, 
um, I, I wasn't able to, to definitively find a, an example that um, we were able to put into the paper, but um, I'm sure they do exist and they may well be more commercial arrangements that exist um, that are not necessarily publicly available. So hopefully that answers the, the question. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, another question we received from Sarah. She's asked, what aspects of the project did you engage with the stakeholders? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I might, I might answer part of this and maybe Tim can answer part of it as well. Sorry, it's Matthew talking again. Uh, so we, we started out the, the project um, having quite an intensive level of uh, stakeholder engagement with state and local governments and that initial level of engagement was around um, developing an understanding with them of the, the policy reasons for investment in roads and, and why they were investing in roads and also looking at their minimum levels of service. Um, so our engagement was with, um, we, we attempted to engage with all state road agencies and as you can see from the slides that Tim has put up, um, we received back um, responses from most state governments. We also engaged with um, four local governments, um, again having the same discussion about um, policy reasons for investment um, and also levels of service and we received back some, some good information from them as well on policy reasons for investment but it was more challenging when it got to minimum levels of service and as Tim said, um, you know, whilst we wanted them to try and put um, information into the, the templates that we provided which were aligned to the HVRR vehicle road reform framework, um, what we got back was more, more expressed in terms of actions, um, actions as to why they've intervened rather than um, levels of aligning with the level of service framework that we put to them. Um, we also engaged with uh, a number of um, the same uh, road agencies and local governments to obtain information on their road categories and also their um, level of road usage. Um, so level of ADAT, level of VKT, proportion of vehicles and the, the data set that we got back on that was um, was very rich and very, very helpful to us in, in parts of the paper, particularly in estimating net CSO cost where we looked at that for a whole lot of road type, road categories and also um, in some cases road, roads. Um, in, in some targeted cases we asked for um, road, road cost data and we did obtain um, some, a very rich data set from the Northern Territory on the three of their roads which is discussed in the paper and also analysed in the paper. Um, historical road data that went back in time on uh, road maintenance and capacity expenditure that was also uh, extremely helpful in providing for the three case study examples. Um, so that, that probably provides a bit of an overview. Tim, would you like to add? That's it. No, okay. Well, that's probably probably a good summary for the moment, Liz. Okay. Thanks, Matthew. Another question is, what data was provided by state road agencies and local governments to assist with the project? Uh, so we probably covered that a little bit in my previous answer. Uh, essentially, the State road agencies provided a whole range of uh, data on minimum levels of service, as you saw in the slides that Tim uh, put up put up on access, right quality, and safety. 
they also provided us with a whole lot of information on their policy reasons for, for investment and some state governments uh, went through a process with us of, of, going, of talking about how all the different documents that they use to go through um, to justify their expenditure, either to themselves or to the or to treasuries or further up further up within government. And also, we obtained from the same state road agencies a heavy data set on, um, as I said before, road use data for different road type road categories, typically in the, the road categories that they've defined, but also um, then AADT type average annual daily traffic data, heavy vehicle road use data, and so forth. Uh, as I also said, we obtained we obtained cost data from some, but it was challenging um, for some jurisdictions that we did ask getting that that data out of them. Um, in some in some cases, um, it it proved to be too difficult. Um, that's probably again another summary of the where we got to. Okay, uh, I'll go through another question, which is, what are the key impediments to implementing CSOs? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Luke. We did talk about this on uh, towards the end of the presentation. I think the last slide. So I might just reiterate some of the points that we made there and go into going to a bit more detail. The, I think one of the, the key issues, the starting issues, is really getting an agreed minimum level of service across the country or an agreed level of variation, if that's, if that's um, where governments end up. Um, noting, the, noting the gaps in key information on level of service at local government level, which is a key issue that needs to be um, thought about in terms of taking the TSOs forward. Also important is the lack of robust cost data. Um, road use data. Um, is not is not too bad from what we the data that we got and and generally speaking is reasonably rich across across the country. Uh, both of which are needed to estimate the the CSO co net CSO cost for specific roads or road categories. Um, probably also worth noting that the Austroads Data Standard Project um, has the potential to go some way towards addressing um, the, the road cost issue, um, helping with both standardising the type of data that's required. Um, which is very important, uh, and also um, actually ensuring that possibly the data might be able to, we might be able to bring the data sets together from various road road agencies and um, road managers into a format that can be used to estimate NISA cost across Australia for different roads and road types. Okay, thank you, Matthew. Another question is: How big a problem is it that road classifications are not consistent across the country? Yeah, that's a really good question, Elise. Uh, uh, it's definitely uh, beneficial in implementing a, a CSO framework to have um, some level of harmonised uh, national road classification. Uh, there's, if there is a de desire for a, a national harmonised minimum level of service, then having a national road classification is very important, as the level of service would be set for road classification. Uh, as we discussed, however, as we discussed in our presentation, there are weaknesses in aligning the current state road agency road categories with the heavy vehicle road reform categories, and I think Tim had a slide that just talked about this issue. Um, additionally, 
um, it's also worth noting that setting the net CSO cost for specific roads would benefit from a harmonised road, road national classification as you'd want to be able to compare and contrast roads uh, across Australia to ensure that you're setting the right level of net CSO cost for a particular road. So there's probably several reasons that, that governments would want to consider um, when thinking about this issue, Liz. Okay, thanks for answering that one. On slide 39, did you access CSO level of Tanami Road against an expected standard as a result of your research? How CSO standards for each road categories are going to be set? Simple description of services or any dollar value? I think I understand the question. You may, have, you may need to repeat it, Elise. Yeah, um, I'll repeat it again. It, uh, yep. So there's kind of two parts to this question. So did you access CSA level of Tanami Road against an expected sta standard as a result of your research? So that's the first part. Yeah, sure. Okay, how about I tackle that first? Mm -hmm. um, the, the approach that we took to estimating the net CSA cost was really illustrative. So as we talked about on a slide in the, earlier in the presentation, we, we've, we've made the assumption that um, certainly for doing the illustrative examples that the current standard is, is what the, what the, which is the minimum level of service. And we've estimated the net CSO cost on that basis. So it may well be that, the, that once you go through the framework that we talked about, where you, you try and adjust the uh, minimum level of service for Tanami Road to be more consistent with what you'd expect for that type of road, you might end up with a different net CSO cost over time based on, based on that adjustment process. But what we've done, so the illustrative example is just use the information that's available and on the assumption that the current level is the, min is the minimum level of service. But that, but, but that may not be the case in practice and that's something that would need to be, uh, as you can see, there's an iteration to, there's an iteration to this process um, that we talked about in the earlier slides in the, in the presentation. And so yeah, what was the second part of the second one says how CSA standards for each road categories are going to be set, simple description of services or any dollar value. Does that... Uh, might have to clarify that if... Might need to. Well, maybe I'll talk about just the process again that we mm. talked about in the paper. Uh, we talked about uh, that there, there are current road categories there at the moment and that you know there may be a need to have more harmonised type road categories. We talked about there being a need to put roads into road categories and that, that's a process just in itself that would need to occur um, and then you would set a minimum level of service for those different road categories. So every road, road would fit into a road category and there would be a minimum level of service for that road category. Now that whole process, um, that whole process of going through and determining the right roads and the right road categories to the right minimum level of service for the right road category, that hasn't occurred yet. What we've got at the moment is, is we're working on the basis that every road is set at a, is being maintained at a service level um, that is historical and is, and you could assume that, um, rightly or wrongly, that uh, it has gone through a process of social benefit cost analysis and policy reasons for investing to get to its, its service level at the moment. Um, but as you move to a more national approach, 
you probably you become more concerned with consistency and harmonisation. And what we've talked about in the paper is that that's a whole process just with itself, especially given that you've got local governments who, who as as we found out in the project, are not able to articulate in the way that we would have liked in terms of minimum level of service. So there's a lot of work that need, would need to be done to get um, to get a lot of harmonisation and consistency to the way you'd want to think about road categories and minimum and minimum level of service. And that comes back to the way we looked at Tanami. We really just estimated Tanami based on its current level of service, which is implicit within the cost cost estimates that were given, and also then the net CSO cost. Okay, thanks for clarifying that one. Uh, another question is, is it possible to provide the data behind the estimated net profit loss data used for figures 6.2, 6.3 and 6.4, which is page 47 in the report? So this is more accessing data from the actual report. Uh, so what page was that on the list? Uh, page 47 in the report, so figures 6.2, 6.3 and 6.4. 47 in the report. Oh, okay. That's at a national aggregated level. Yeah, look, I suppose that would be up to uh, Austroads if they wanted to, wanted to provide that data to the, the people that have asked for it, uh, Liz. Okay, we'll take that one offline and yeah. So another question is, did the approach take into account road network resilience for critically, criticality slash redundancy? Could you repeat the question, Elise? Did the approach take into account road network resilience or criticality slash redundancy? Oh, hi, Elise. Uh, Tim Martin here. I think I can answer that. I'll have to make an assumption here because levels of service that we obtained from the road agencies probably had some implicit setting of resilience for them, but a mere level of ride comfort and road width and uh, load capacity doesn't necessarily represent a resilience in its direct sense, but I, I suspect there would be some descending level of resi resilience as you're going down the road categories so that the, the, the more heavily traffic roads would have more resilience than the local access type roads. <clears throat> so it's it's implicit but not necessarily clearly stated and whether that needs to be, could affect the level of service and how we're considering it is, 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 is an issue. Okay, thanks for that Tim. Um, just going through the questions. That they're all the questions that we've received today. Uh, so I guess we'll wrap this session up here and we've hope, we hope that the audience have found this session helpful. If the audience does have any other kind of questions that they have, other questions down the line, they could feel free to contact us. We'd love to hear the audience's feedback. So we encourage you to kind of to answer a quick survey, which will pop up on the screen after the webinar. So we'd like to thank all the speakers. Thank you again and thank you everyone for joining us.